You're listening to a sermon originally recorded by Schweitzer United Methodist Church in Springfield, Missouri. Check us out online at sumc.co. And if this sermon blessed you, be sure to share it with someone else. Thank you so much for listening. Now, on to the message. God is going to show up for us, and God is going to engage with us in these stories if we're open to them. And God's going to move us to a different place than where we are right now. By sharing our stories, we enable one another and encourage one another and empower one another to have greater faith, you know. Um, and uh, I, I think there's real great hope in, in that, that these stories still continue today. Yeah, so we all have these great stories. Hey, he appeared to me also. Here's my story. Here's what happened. Take it or not, but that's what happened. There are a lot of different people that Jesus shows himself to. And it was an amazing thing, time and time and time again, how Jesus showed up. I think he's, he's looking forward to doing that today. Jason Leininger, and it's it's great to be with you on a beautiful day outside, isn't it? And it's been a gorgeous weekend, a real real gift from God. Well, today we're gathered in this place, and we're we're on this journey, where we're in this series of messages talking about how Jesus appeared to people, um, or Jesus appeared to people after his resurrection. A lot of different people with a lot of different stories in a lot of different places. Today we're going to find ourselves in the Gospel of John, the twenty first chapter. But before we go there, I have a question for you. A sort of a, a, a question that helps us get a sense of the context in w- into which we're coming. Have you ever been at a point where you've let somebody down, let somebody down, and then letting them down just sort of sticks in your memory? You can't get rid of it for a while. Maybe not even for a long time. You want to talk about that, Christy? I saw that hand. I saw that hand. So um, <clears throat> several times, well, Anna and I have had the privilege of living in a number of different places, and one of the places we lived was Western New York. And we lived there for three years. We had our first son. He was born there, Moses. And we had some really cool neighbors. And when Moses was one, it, it came about to the point where, where we were going to, to take a move. And, and so we announced it, and, and there was some sorrow related to that. We had really good neighbors. And, and the, the day we were supposed to move, or the, the next day that we were supposed to move, the, the previous day, we packed up all of our stuff, we put it in a big moving van, and we made arrangements so that the next morning um, we'd have breakfast with our neighbors as kind of a final goodbye, a, a farewell of sorts. But there were the two of us plus a little one-year-old little boy, and we had nothing in the house in which we'd been staying except for some sleeping bags and for some clothes. And so we laid down as we normally did that night, except this one-year-old little boy was having none of it. Like, he was up, and he tried to sleep, but he couldn't sleep. And so about 12.30, Anna turned to me, or maybe I turned to her. I don't know how it came about, but we said to one another, let's just go. And so in the middle of the night, we got into a big moving truck, and we started off the countryside. And we left without ever having breakfast with our neighbors. (laughs) I shouldn't have told that story, shouldn't I? 
because, I mean, it was just the reality in which we were in. But the reality is, is we left without saying goodbye. And every time we think about different places we've been, about the, the memory about Western New York where we used to live, is that we failed to say goodbye. That's a unique memory that sticks with you. And we know it wasn't anything that was like, it wasn't in, with bad intention or anything, but we, if we had that moment back, we would love to take it back. And I suppose all of us at some point have moments that we would love to take back. The Apostle Peter did. He had a few moments in the story of his engagement with Jesus, had some moments he would love to take back. But there was one in particular that stood out. It was the night in which Jesus was arrested, and Peter went to the place where Jesus was staying at Caiaphas' house. And he was staying out in a courtyard, Peter was, watching the proceedings from afar. And somebody came up to him. Three different times, somebody came up to him and looked at Peter and said, he looked familiar. Weren't you one of those guys that hung out with the guy who's arrested? And Peter said, no, never seen him before. Don't know him. Somebody else said, weren't you with him? Aren't you one of the Galileans? No, haven't ever been there. Weren't you? Aren't you one of his disciples? No, I don't know anything about him. And then a rooster begins to crow in that moment. Now, Peter may have been able to foresee the reality that Jesus was going to be crucified and resurrected, but most of the stories tell us that he could never see that far. And so he is just as surprised as everyone else when Jesus is raised up from the dead. And he gets to see a number of, uh, a number of times, he's, he's a part of the story when Jesus is present to his disciples. And yet, what is the thing that keeps sticking to his his heart. What's the thing that keeps hanging up in his own throat? It's the fact that when he, he was in that courtyard and he was asked, and John, the writer, will even tell us that when the rooster begins to crow, though he was separated a long ways from Jesus, Jesus turned to him and looked at him in that moment, and he caught Peter's eye. And Peter caught his eye. And so there's great joy in the reality that Jesus is resurrected. But there is an elephant in the room. There's a rooster in the room between Jesus and Peter. And every time Jesus is around, and maybe even when he isn't really present, there's something that's being... There's a hang-up in Peter's spirit. John tells us, in a continuation of the story that you heard last week, that Jesus showed up on the Sea of Galilee, on the shores, and he fixed breakfast for the disciples. And after breakfast, in John 21, there's this account. After breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Peter replied, you know I love you. Then feed my lambs, Jesus told him. Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, 
Do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. The third time he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt that Jesus asked him a question a third time. And so he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, then feed my sheep. I tell you the truth. <clears throat> when you were young, you were able to do as you liked. You dressed yourself and you went wherever you wanted to go. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and others will dress you and take you where you do not want to go. By what kind of death or... Um, Jesus said this to let him know by what kind of death he would glorify God. Then Jesus told him, follow me. Peter turned around in that moment, and he saw behind them in a distance the disciple that Jesus loved, the one who had leaned over to Jesus during the supper and asked, Lord, who will betray you? Jesus asked, or Peter asked Jesus, what about him? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, follow me. Peter carries that real sense of shame, that real sense of guilt, that real sense that I have really failed to be a follower of Christ, to be a friend of Jesus, to be somebody that's really devoted to somebody else. I've, I've really failed in this moment. Um, he's not the only one that fails, is he? When we fail, how do we come out of that failure? How do we, how do we bounce back? Sometimes the culture in which we live, we live in doesn't, doesn't give us space to come back. Sometimes the places that we live our failures are put up in front of everybody else. And sometimes we're reminded of those things. But Jesus, Jesus isn't willing to let Peter stay in that place of failure. Jesus isn't willing to let Peter stay in the place where he's just, he's just stuck with that guilt and that reminder. Jesus comes alongside of Peter. And in three Three questions, just like the first three questions that happened in the courtyard of Caiaphas, Jesus begins to ask Peter the questions, do you love me? And when he says yes, then he says, take care of my sheep. Do you love me? And then <clears throat> it's like John says, after the third time, Peter's hurt because he's like, you know, Lord, you know that I love you. But what Jesus is doing, he's approaching Peter, not in a way so that Peter feels the hurt just as hurt. But he's coming back to Peter and he's saying, Peter, we have to have a real heart-to-heart, -heart, a real discussion between the two of us. We have to go back to the place that's a place of shame. We've got to come back to a place where you can be reconciled, where you can be reclaimed, and, and where you can be restored. Because if we just pass over that reality then it's just going to be something that you carry with you. And it's going to be something with, that you carry with you, and it's going to be like something that, that holds you in, that boxes you in. And you'll never be free of it. We have to go back to that place. 
Now, one of the things that Jesus does here is he has a, a tremendous amount of humility and a tremendous amount of compassion. To have real conversations, those are pretty essential. Real humility, real compassion. Recently, I've had a number of conversations with, with people, and they've centered around some of the things that are happening in our own culture with regards to politics, and not just politics, but then how politics shapes a lot of other conversations, conversations even with their own family. And what I've discovered is that some people say, you know, I've got, I've got a spouse that I can't really talk to about what I think with regard to this or that. Because within the framework, everybody's put up their, they've adopted some sort of camp. But what's missing out of the conversations is both this reality that of humility and compassion that I might ha have a position, and you may have a position, and they may be far apart, but we can still listen to one another. Jesus approaches Peter with, with truth, with humbleness, with compassion. And he does, he asks the questions three times. Because in some ways, he knows that, that Peter's a long ways away in his own heart. And Jesus' desire is to really bring him back into that close proximity of heart, what we would call reconciliation. And the other thing Jesus desires to do with Peter is, is to reclaim him. Because if you've ever been at a place where you've failed, you ever had that moment where it's like, man, I really bought something and I, I should never do that again in my life? Sometimes when we fail big time, it's like, I'll never try that again. And sometimes it's, it's that thing that we try and we fail at that we're really meant for. And sometimes we'll just let the failure be a cloud that's over top of us. And so Jesus comes along to Peter because at one point, a number of points, Jesus has said to Peter, you know what, Peter? You're somebody that I believe in and trust, and God has great things intended for you. In fact, he's going to help build his church upon, um, upon you. Peter's like, how's that going to happen when I deny Jesus? And so Jesus has to reclaim him from that sense of failure. He's got to restore him. And restoration doesn't necessarily make, mean that you just come back into the way things were. And what restoration means, you begin to be the kind of person that Jesus, is in, that Jesus has in mind. Oftentimes, it's way beyond what we have in mind about ourselves. And so he begins to paint this picture for Peter, where he says, feed my sheep, take care of my lambs. What Jesus is really doing in that is, is saying to Peter, you've been somebody who's followed me, but I'm, I'm asking you in this moment not to just be a follower, but to be somebody who shares in the work that I have. To share in the work that I have in such a way that, well, Jesus will go on later to talk about how when Peter's old, he's going to go to places and he's going to be led to places. And similar things that have happened to Jesus are going to happen to Peter. He's like, Peter, I'm asking you to share in this journey with me. Well, this is a transformative moment in Peter's life. It takes somebody who's very timid and, and trepidatious, following, 
the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus, that there's something remarkable that takes place. Peter's life is transformed. And not just his life is transformed, but his story is transformed because Peter becomes this, this rock, this, this person that indeed, when the church looks back to the great saints, to the people that have really followed God, they look to Peter. This last summer, I had the joy of being in Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, they have a number of different sites. And one of those sites that, that you get to go to and you can visit is the, the home of Caiaphas. And on top of, the, of what they, or at least historically, has been tagged the home of Caiaphas. And on top of that home is a church, and it's called the Church of St. Peter. On top of that home. And you, I don't know if you can see it here right now, but most of the time, on most churches that you see, you'll see a cross, right? But on this church, on top of the cross, there's something else. Oh, can you go back to the... the thanks, sorry. On top of the cross, can you put that little round thing up there, highlight it? You can't do it? Okay, sorry. Um, you may not be able to see this right here, but there is a rooster on top of that cross. Now, I've been to a lot of places, and I grew up around a lot of barns and farms, and on top of a barn, you might see, like, a rooster, right, and the weather vane. But I've never seen a rooster on top of a cross. You, now it's all <laughs> Oh, it's up there? There you go. So there's a rooster on top of the cross. And in the courtyard, in the courtyard of this church, show us that, that pedestal. There is this pedestal and this reenactment, these statuettes of a, of a soldier and Peter and the woman who is asking him. And on top of it is a rooster. Now, I don't know about you, but if I've, most of the times I've failed in my life, I've never wanted to remember them so much. Even if God has done really good work out of them, I've never wanted to remember them so much that I would make some kind of icon, some sort of memory out of it. You kind of want your failures to go in the past and be in the past and hidden, right? The church at St. Peter, they decide, you know what, folks? When we think about who Peter is, we have to remember the fullness of his story. He isn't a rock all the time. He wasn't a rock. And yet when Jesus met him at the sea, at the fire, at breakfast... He took somebody who had failed miserably and yet who Jesus had great faith in. And he said, do you love me? Do you love me? The failure in his own life becomes a critical turning point for Peter himself to have humility and compassion and to see the strength for the ministry, the strength for what Jesus is really calling him into doesn't reside in himself, but it comes from God himself. It comes from Christ and sharing in the work of Christ. And so they memorialize the rooster. As I was thinking about this story, I was thinking about C.S. Lewis's The Chronicles of Narnia. And I was thinking about the one, one book in particular, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. In The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, there's a couple of, of the four children who originally go into Narnia, Edmund and Lucy, who get to go back into Narnia on this ship. And 
one of the people they take with them back in, into Narnia is their cousin Eustace. And Eustace is surly, and the last place he wants to be is in Narnia. In fact, one of his first questions when he arrives is, is where's the consulate for the Queen of England? I want to go home. Um, he has not believed in Narnia. He doesn't want to be in Narnia, and he is surly. And at one point along the journey, they end up on, a, on an island, and Eustace puts a gold armband on, and he turns into a dragon. And for a season, he is not only is he a dragon on the inside, but he's a dragon on the outside. And then eventually Aslan shows up, and he de-dragonizes him. Um, beautiful picture of the de-dragonization. <clears throat> it is. It's marvelous. It's, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's what Christ does to many of us, if we'll let him. But then there's that question, how do you, if you're Eustace, how do you go back and face your cousins? How do you go back to a ship and a group of people that you've been crass to, that you've been mean to, that you've been dragonish in spirit to? So he humbly walks back there. And there's this conversation. Go ahead and, and stick it up. Edmund greets him, and he says to Eustace, he says, Between ourselves, you haven't been as bad as I was on my first trip to Narnia. You were an ass, but I was a traitor. And you see the, the sense of difference, the sense of disparity, but the reality that both of these characters know what it is to not live up to their own hopes and expectations to really fail somebody else. And to wonder, can I come back into this circle? Can I be useful? In fact, not only can I come back into the circle, but can I be somebody that God's power and God's grace and God's presence includes me in, in what God is doing in the world? And the reality is, is, we all can be in that place. From time to time, we're all in that place where we fail. We've all got roosters that crow. And Jesus finds a way. He finds a way to come alongside of us. And sometimes it's in those places where it's like in a fire with coals that are early morning. And Jesus comes alongside and he says, do you love me? Not only does Jesus talk about Peter's past, but he talks about his future as well. Because after he asks him those questions about loving him and taking care of his sheep, that's when Jesus then begins to turn and he points forward. And he says, Peter, he says, you've been a strong fisherman. You've been somebody, you've been called the rock, which is a picture of strength. And yet in your future, I just want you to trust me. I want you to follow me. I don't want your past to define you, but I want you to follow me into the future where I'm going to lead you. Because I'm going to take you places, and other people are going to take you places that you might never go. And I want you to trust, and I want you to follow. Peter's kind of okay with that. Except for the part, I think, when he says, when you're old, <clears throat> you're going to be strung up, kind of like I was. Peter's not quite okay with all of that. And he wonders about it, and he, he says, Jesus, is that going to happen to all of us? It seems that they're, at this moment that they're kind of on a walk, that they've moved from the fire, and they're out on a walk. And John is close by, and that's when, when Peter turns and looks over his shoulder, and he says, is that going to happen to him too? And Jesus says to him, 
His story is his story, Peter. But the place where you're at right now, I'm just asking you for your future to follow me. Some of us here in this room, as we think about the place we're at in our life, some of us know what it's like to have roosters. We know what it's like to have those, those thoughts when we're in places where there are smells and memories that remind us of things that are yet left undone, conversations that yet haven't been had. And some of us have had those conversations. We've moved beyond that place. And we're really good with Jesus. And yet Jesus wants to come alongside of us. And he begins to talk to us about what our future might look like. And maybe we're a little timid or trepidatious about the future. And yet Jesus simply has something to say to us in that place. He says, follow me. In fact, maybe he says more than follow me. But he, he begins to paint the picture. And as he paints the picture, you're wondering, like, can I really go there? And Jesus continues to say to us, follow me. One of the things we really believe about, about times like this when we gather together is that it's just not you and me and us in this space, but that Jesus draws close to us, that he's here. This morning, I'd like to give us a little time of, of quiet, silence, if you will a little uh, space of silence because this is a one-on-one -on -one conversation that Jesus has with Peter. And maybe in this space, Jesus wants to have a one-on-one -on -one conversation with you, with me. So as we go into a brief time of silence, there's just a few questions that I'd like to ask. Jesus asked the question, do you love me? What's your response? Jesus asked Peter to do certain things, and he asked us to do certain things. What's your response? Jesus says, follow me. What's your response? 